Welcome to the Software People Stories. I'm Shiv. I'm Chitra. And I'm Gaiti. We bring you interesting untold stories of people associated with the creation or consumption of software-based solutions. You'll hear stories of what worked and sometimes what didn't. You will also hear very personal experiences and insights that would trigger your thoughts and inspire you to do even greater things. In this episode, Chitra continues her conversation with Matt Genovese, the founder and CEO of Planorama Design. In the last episode, she asked Matt where we begin with writing good stories and how to develop great software. Matt answers that question and also shares a lot of details about working in collaboration with the development team, the challenges in creating APIs, specific challenges in working with hardware that have synchronous issues when you're working on IoT projects, and what failures need to be taken care of and what could be ignored. He goes on to share his experience on the importance of functional verification and how discovery and thinking are also very important along with writing user stories. And how diagrams help all the stakeholders understand and visualize the flow together. And how and when a design sprint happens. Finally, he also shares his message to someone who is aspiring to get into a hardware or a software career. Listen on. What is it that you've learned or you use in terms of writing effective stories. And when I say stories, I don't only mean user stories, but also the the non-functional stories. For example, if mm. there there are, you know, non-functional requirements that you're looking at, like um, you know, data ingestion or scalability mm-hmm. or performance or response times or throughput. Sure. Um uh, I've seen that a lot of uh, engineers struggling with uh, first the product managers struggling with articulating those requirements and the mm-hmm. the understanding of those so that you really have a solid foundation or a backend that can support what um, is needed uh, right. upfront. So if there's like a million users that's trying to mm-hmm. that are constantly accessing the system, uh, it has to be available. It has to, um, you know, retrieve, uh, continuously ingest data, uh, do That's some right. processing, um, give responses, especially today where people are um, probably looking for responses in near real time to take decisions, to decide, let's mm-hmm. say, um, you know, how can I, let's say, optimize my marketing spend? Uh, where should mm-hmm. I put in um you know, if I am advertising here, will it give me a better no. ROI? You know, stuff like that. Right. So right, how, right. what have you done to sort of encourage people or write better stories? Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, and it's funny, you you made me think about, um, you know, stories or the the, the work in, in defining requirements. 
um, even between pure software applications and I'll say IoT applications, right? Because there's a there's a difference mm-hmm. there as well. For example, um, you know, from a design standpoint, and I mean design holistically in the engineering sense, what we do is we end up looking at the requirements, looking at what the the, the needs are of the users, the customers, the the, the company, the you know, the business. And working with their product manager to, to prioritize and look for the gotchas, look for the where the problem spots might be, the risks, right? Because design is also not only about requirements, but it's also about de-risking, right? And trying to, because you know that things are going to happen in the future. You just try to, try to mitigate that as best you can. So, uh, you know, in pure software systems, we already have... To, to care about the exception cases, right? And I don't just mean the exception cases like the user types in the wrong information in the UI. You know, the UI tries to guard against that. But what if a, a service isn't available, like an API, internal API or an external you know, third-party API? Um, what if it's providing the wrong data back, right? Um, and and that is hard enough as it is because we, we tend to uh, consider those requirements and spin up uh, projects or many projects with development, working in collaboration with the development team. You know, usually our, our customers, our, our clients have their own internal development team. Maybe they're working with an external team. We come and and come alongside them and say, look, this is what we're seeing. We we, we know that if the, say this API uh, behaves, you know, in a, or has a performance of a certain uh, level, we can handle uh, the ingestion of the data in the application a certain way. However, if it if it doesn't perform the way that we expect, then there's going to be a challenge in in our UX design, right? In mm-hmm. our visual design. And yep. we're going to have to handle that. So then we work with the development team and say, hey, let's put together a proof of concept here, right? And see if we can evaluate how this API, especially if it's a third party where you're just kind of trusting that the that the manual is correct. Uh, we have to get that information and and see if the if the output is indeed performing uh, mm-hmm. or the, the results are performing in the way that we expect. That is, you know, one aspect of software, I'll say pure software systems that we, you know, end up getting into. And that's, again, working in conjunction with the development team. If you consider IoT projects and hardware, that that now becomes the norm. The exception becomes the norm because not only are you having to care about what I'll call synchronous issues, things that are in lockstep mm. with the user's action. U- user does X, system responds Y, you know, in 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 sync with them, right? Maybe they receive something on the screen. But now you have problem, you have potential issues with like uh, server servos or stepper motors, you know, going out of position or not functioning. Mm-hmm. Uh, sensor inputs giving the wrong data, could be giving outlier data, statistically speaking, you know, that like, oh boy, that's going to mess up everything downstream. Yeah. How do you detect that? How do you present that? Connectivity, out of service issues, real time, safety mm. issues. Um, mm. The software still needs to fail gracefully yeah. in some way. You know, so, the... <laughs> I mean, just listening to you, I think you somewhere have, a database of categories and classifiers for all kinds of failure modes. <laughs> well, that's the benefit of working with engineers uh, <laughs> that are doing design work, right? Because you're, yeah. we're, we're engineers are typically the, the kind of folks that think about the the things that can go wrong. Um, you know, it, yeah, and it's, it's, it almost it's, is uh, giving me this thought with all kinds of generative AI being so rampantly spoken about and. 
experience today. <laughs> what if, you know, these mm-hmm. were to be given as prompts and say that for, for this kind of a system uh, in in the path of, let's mm-hmm. say, a bite of, a bit of data, this, what do you think are the possible failure modes? Okay. And then me as yeah. a developer, if I get all of those, I'll make sure that my part of the code is rock solid or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you mean, you certainly, I mean, it, 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 as I mentioned about agile, right. We only know what we know now, right. And mm. we try to yeah. figure it out, you know, but it, it it's worth it. It's worth that, that ounce of prevention, mm. um, you know, uh, to, to prevent that pound of cure later on. We, we try to think about, well, here are the things we can anticipate happening again, like these asynchronous actions I was telling you about or behaviors from a, from, you know, hardware products, but you know, they can also happen in software too, depending mm-hmm. on the other connections, but you try to think through what those are and decide what are we going to take care of now? And what are we going to not care about? Because statistically we think it's not going to happen that often. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, we, we consider that, but at least you've thought about it. At least you've made a, a cognizant decision that we are going to handle these and we're not going to handle these because of the cost of the time constraints. That's completely okay. That's part of the design process and the prioritization yeah. of what you're going to work on. Yeah. I what what I try to pr- avoid are the are the surprises, mm. right? The like the you know and and they're like oh boy, nobody thought of this happening. Mm. And again, that's there's a lot of things you learn from functional verification where you you run these randomized test cases on your on your chip or on your model, um, you know, either within the 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 positive data space or in the negative negative space state space, and you you try to find what you couldn't think of, right? It's always those errors that that the, those defects that you didn't anticipate that are the ones that get you, right? Mm. And and those are those are difficult, and that's an area where I think the software space. Um, uh, they they don't always take that into account, right? We're writing test cases to test, you know, the possible things that we can conceive of. How do you handle the things we can't conceive of? Um, and I think that has been been largely left out, unless you're in like a real time or a safety critical system where there's mm. there's guidelines you have to test that. Yeah. But I mean, going back to your to your comments about users, you know, user stories and and how they impact customer experience, like these issues I'm talking about, um, that's an area where again, design, this holistic design that, that, that we do at Planorama and, and that we, you know, really embody, um, you try to uh, evaluate what could happen. And then you, again, make decisions for what you're going to uh, evaluate right now, uh, validate, and then um, build into your product and other ones that you might push out, um, you know, as, as we'll handle those another time. Um, and so that's where design and development really tend to, you know, walk hand in hand mm. um, and as, as they should, you know, they shouldn't be treated as, you know, separate, uh, <laughs> separate entities. Design yep. is kind of the, the glue that holds everything together and make sure that the, that uh, the product is, has the best, um, best probability of being successful in the market. Absolutely. So, yep. so yeah, we're, we're, um, you know, from from our perspective, that's what design looks like. It's a it's it's a lot of those cases. It's also you know, as I said before, writing all those user stories, writing the test cases as we see it, um, exception cases, so that the developers and the dev team have what they need to execute, um, and and they can be 
they, they can be as efficient as possible. But it mm-hmm. does require that you have some level of discovery and 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 thinking, you know, like sometimes if you speed up too fast and you go into this extreme agile, yep. <laughs> that's where all the mistakes are made because nobody's sitting down and really thinking about what all, the, all the things that could happen. And so how it, do it really you... Does, so then then how do you actually get a, a cross-functional team sitting I mean, I'm just visualizing do you get to uh, you know have them all sit around a table where you have developers you have the test engineers you have designers you have uh, product management that's articulating mm-hmm. the business cases and so on uh, do you start from there or how do you get everybody to uh, what I like to call see the elephant together? Mm. It's a good question. And it's, it's largely dependent on, you know, like with our clients, it depends on where they're starting from, you know, how, how much effort that's going to be to to get us to see the problem in the same way. Um, We typically label this as discovery for, Mm -hmm. at least for us, because we have to discover the problem uh, and the problems or the challenges have to be uh, addressed. However, Look, sometimes discovery is as much discovery for the internal team mm. as it is for us. Like we, yep. we all, we're, we're coming in as the quote unquote external partner, mm. although we, we, you know, we kind of roll up our sleeves and, and we like to, you know, work uh, in the trenches with everybody. Uh, you know, we're still oftentimes the new people on the block if we're coming in working with a new client. But however, there are many times the questions that we're asking are uncovering uh, the fact that uh, that question hasn't been asked before internally. And we, we all need to, to come together and understand what the answer is to that. And so discovery is happening just as much internally at times as it is external to us. Um, and so that involves, you know, at, at least the product manager from, from the, you know, our client, they're typically the ones that understand the, the, the space they're living it day in, day out. Um, you know, the, the industry, the vertical, the, the competitors that they have, what other companies are doing, uh, they're going to understand that. And that's an area that, that we won't, but we're going to be working with them, you know, as, as a partner to, to, to realize that and to help consult them. And then naturally the development team uh, becomes involved because we start talking about features that we need to understand a bit better how they're going to be implemented or what the, what, what the constraints are from the existing system. If it's a, if they have an application or we're building a new one, we have to understand some things there. Um, so the, I think the whole process of discovery and asking these questions naturally brings the right people in. And if we don't see them there, we'll usually ask for them. Uh, and that, that, by the way, can be the customer too. I mean, they, our clients, customers, we love to get in front of them and talk to them about their problems using, say, the existing solutions from, from, from our client. Uh, or or other solutions as well, and getting their feedback. They're a key part of the process that that many times is uh, um, you know not always spoken with, <laughs> right? And yep. uh, and gosh, it, it'd be really nice to have them involved too. And we don't always get <laughs> access to them, mm-hmm. but we we certainly do try. Um, but that discovery process leads us to understanding the problem or, or problems usually better. Mm-hmm. And working towards a prioritization, you know, only when we have an understanding of it and we can start um, diagramming out workflows and and, mm-hmm. and uh, internal data structures and things like that, 
that are, are going to affect what the user sees and how the application is used. Then, then do we get to a place where we can actually create some screens that we mm -hmm. can evaluate together and say, ah, this is what we're thinking. This is how this this is how all this discovery information distilled down into, say, uh, a, a potential user interface that we can start iterating upon. Right. right? So I, at this stage, are you using things like, you know, low fidelity prototypes and you know, something that you can very quickly come up with, say, using Figma mm -hmm. or... Uh, um, That's right. You know, so that people can actually right. visualize together and kind of mm -hmm. stitch the flow together. Is, is... That's exactly right. Right. That's exactly right. We're, I mean, when we, we end up putting together diagrams uh, you know, using, um, you know, uh, diagramming software. Actually, Figma has a tool called FigJam, which is like a whiteboard mm -hmm. tool. Mm -hmm. And it's wonderful because drawing out diagrams, you know, doing sequence diagrams or doing other types that show how data is related. It, a lot of times we're echoing back to the customer, to our client. This yeah. is what we understand. This is what has come out from our conversations and showing it in a very clear, well thought out um, easily understandable, easily adjustable way by everybody who are stakeholders in this process. And then that's how we make sure that we're, as you said, looking at all looking at the same elephant. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, and yeah. then uh, and then from there, the designs flow out. And yes, we do use tools like Figma. Um, sometimes we do it in low fidelity. Sometimes we just go right to high fidelity because mm. we don't want people to have to look past the the you know the the back of the napkin drawing version and low fidelity we find that sometimes high fidelity uh, mm. doesn't take any any more effort really right. but it does help to uh, uh, get past any um, any you know questions about like well you know what if the button's over here what if the mm. you know <laughs> what mm. if this is like ah it doesn't matter yeah we have other yeah. tools too that we use is you know just to try to get those flows worked out and not mm. focus on where things are on the screen, but it does help build consensus. And that's what we're after. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. I've, I've often yes. wondered, you know, that, I mean, in, in my mind, I visualize it like a stack where, you know, the, the topmost layer is perhaps what the user is experiencing. And then you kind of mm -hmm. go down layer by layer. You have, you have an API layer, you may have several API layers, and then you That's can right. see how the data is going, where it's going, what's supposed to get mm -hmm. returned. And then, uh, I always have this grand diagram in my head, but it's yes. kind of yes. hard to <laughs> thinking that we we have to get everything right and um, you know have it yeah. all lined up beautifully. But we know that rarely happens, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you you do just <clears throat> enough. So so I was wondering, uh, um, do you actually go through an iterative phase for design itself? Um, Yes. Like sprints? Yes, we do. We do, actually. Mm -hmm. So the discovery, typically, it will take as long as it takes. We don't try to prolong it, but we do. You, know, you could call it a sprint, but really, we're just trying to understand the problem. Mm -hmm. But once we have enough information that we can start creating the, the screens and we can start basically building the features that we prioritized that came out of discovery that we all collectively decided, hey, this is what we're going to work on in this you know, call it a phase of work or the, you know, mm. whatever you want to define. Yeah, yeah. Then we then we go into design sprints. Mm. And typically we're meeting with our, our client uh, at least once a week mm -hmm. to review what we have put together 
and to get feedback from uh, the team. And that that those the people from the, the client are always the product manager. Um, it can be hopefully the developer, at least one developer, maybe the team lead is is the best uh, or a front end and back end. Uh, we don't need the entire team to, to join from the development side, but we're working uh, in a way that we're presenting that the, the results of what we've done so far mm-hmm. in a mid sprint and an end of sprint review. And then we get feedback and then we, we turn around and deliver that say from the mid sprint into the end of sprint review, we deliver the final designs, uh, have them approved effectively, and then have the user stories uh, written and the test cases written. And so our, our output from these sprints mm-hmm. uh, becomes the input for the development team. Right. And, okay. And they're working often in their own sprint. So we're, we don't want to disturb them. We let them run their own ceremonies. I mean, typically mm-hmm. it, every company is a little bit different, but yeah. in general, we want them to execute on the, the work that we've just designed Mm-hmm. Uh, that is in their backlog and they've seen it already. They've given comment on it already. It's top of mind. So they're in the best spot then to go and start building it. So then uh, you know, uh, have you yep. seen have you seen people actually place value on things like design sprints? And do you think that that's a, a good value proposition to sort of bring to the awareness of companies to say that, hey, it's worth spending time in design iterations so that you can, for example, effectively actually reduce your time to market or um, produce better quality software? Have you um, had the opportunity to position it that way or what are your thoughts on it? Well, I I think there's a a nomenclature issue. So when I say our design sprint, I'm really saying I guess the UX sprint. We are it, I, I know there's a there's a lot of baggage or a lot of I say baggage, but there's a, okay. a strict definition that many people use for design sprint with a capital mm. D and a capital mm. S, mm-hmm. where they're they're trying to um, what I think is do a lot of discovery work in that particular sprint mm. uh, and and come out with something. And it tends to be very very intensive. Uh, I we kind of we we break that up. We effectively spend a lot of that work in what I'll say is discovery. Mm-hmm. Um, in that that set of time where we're trying to understand the problem and and determine the right solution uh, and the workflows that are associated with it, and then our our what we call our design sprints, or maybe a, you know with a lowercase d or a UX sprint, <laughs> okay. is really the ex the execution mm-hmm. of it, right? The execution uh-huh. say, okay, we're going to take these features that we've already determined with these workflows, and we're going to design the screens for those. And okay. and then the the output of that, uh, you know, UX sprint is the design or the or the designs with the user stories and the test cases that are now going into the backlog for the development team in their next sprint. So it's a it's not the same. It's a shame because design sprint has become this <laughs> term that kind of like uh, everything else in software it's overloaded terms mm. you have to define which one or which one are you talking about but i i mean it in terms oh. of a, a very okay. very tactical very tactical get the get the spec get the requirements written the visual requirements and designs written and out and out so the dev team can execute yeah so what what i had meant is the i think the actually the discovery phase is that you've you've nailed on the problem and then mm-hmm. th- that itself takes a few iterations uh, it but does. it towards the end of it, uh, both 
both parties know that okay now they're going to, these people are going to go off and actually have uh, prepare the screens um mm-hmm. you know elicit the requirements so that we can get started with uh, dev work so basically the the rework if i may say so is minimal uh that that's right yeah. you've nailed it that's exactly right it, it's all de-risking right mm. the entire process mm. right if you walk in and you say we're going to start designing screens it takes time to do that, yeah. right? And it's time yep. that our clients are paying for. And if you have to go back and redo those screens, you're you're paying for that. That money was wasted. We'd rather draw diagrams that are very quick to mm-hmm. you know understand, quick to build, and and for us to all agree that okay, this is the right workflow. This is the right organization of data and information. The dev team has given comment. The the product team. Customers, for that matter, may have given comment. Like the, whoever is involved from the stakeholder, they have all uh, reviewed. And now, when we're designing screens, we have a really good feel for what needs to be there. And now we're we're implementing um, those workflows using well understood design patterns and heuristics, and uh, with a solid grasp of how the information architecture is is formulated for this application. And now there, there's, again, rework could happen in the future. That's always a possibility. Agile does its best to prevent it, but it doesn't mm-hmm. mean it's promised. Yeah. But we really try to de-risk it so that it, it does not, it is likely that those screens are going to be correct uh, based on all the information that we uncovered earlier. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and therefore, when the development team receives it and they're building those screens, again, we, we don't want to run into a case where uh, we couldn't anticipate something that came up, although it can happen, that would require, you know, complete redesigns of screens or areas. We, we really try to avoid that, right? We're built for expandability, extensibility in the future uh, and, and, and really try to avoid painting ourselves into a corner um, through our designs and, and because we know it, it costs money. It, it all costs money. And, and uh, uh, we want to uh, give our, our clients the, the the best bang for the buck. Right. Okay. As we as we come towards the the end of our podcast, we we usually ask our guests to leave listeners, and particularly those aspiring towards a career in technology, software, or hardware, um, mm-hmm. with a with a message. So, what would you like your message to be, Matt? Oh boy. Well, I'll say probably two two things um, that come to mind. One of them is to just remain curious, uh, and I know that's it's almost cliche, like you expect to see it on a on a cat poster, but it's really true. There, there's a lot that's changing today. Um, I mean, I don't have to bring up artificial intelligence, the proliferation of that. Um, that is going to change a lot of areas that I don't think uh, a lot of people even uh, either don't realize or we don't even we can't fathom the way it's going to uh, affect certain areas. But what you can do is stay curious about how that um, how it works, right? If you if you're if anybody's concerned about what's going to happen in the future with our jobs or with um, you know economy for that matter, the economy. Uh, it behooves yourself to at least be curious enough to, to, to jump in and understand it better now. Uh, it's better to, to be at the front of it than the, than the back end of it, I think. 
Okay. Uh, and that goes with anything, AI, whatever. Yep. Um, the other thing I'll mention, and it's kind of a separate topic, but uh, one of my favorite quotes that I think goes back to Voltaire or, or Montesquieu is that perfect perfect is the enemy of good. Uh, <laughs> we typically, typically tack on good enough. Yeah. Um, engineers, and I have to check myself on this too, by the way, I'm not immune. Engineers tend to want perfection. Mm. Um, you know, engineers, when they're developing code, that nobody likes technical debt. Nobody likes the mm. fact that uh, it's not really built the way I wish it was. Mm. You know, it's going to, it can break. There's a problem here. It's upgrade path is going to be terrible, this or that. Um, and the problem is that there, the, our customers need to have solutions built. Mm. And there, and businesses need to make money and things like that. And so we have to be careful with uh, the perfect. Uh, and 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 by the way, even in design, it's the same thing. Yeah, right? yeah. Design is not perfect either, but you do the best with what you have. And uh, doing the best does not mean that it's perfect. It means that it's good enough to get it out, to get people using it, to get it tested, to start generating revenue from it. And then you can go back and and uh, refine it from there. But I know engineers in particular are <laughs> often after perfect. We always learn the theoretical in college, you know, and like, oh, this is yep. how it's supposed to work, you yep. know. <laughs> and then you don't like, oh, there's inertia and there's wind resistance and there's this and that. Like, oh, that messes up my perfect equations. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. So uh, fact, the same goes in the business world. Yeah, no. In fact, <laughs> it goes back to what you said earlier, and when, when we were talking about uh, anticipating all adverse events, right? Uh, mm -hmm. I don't think there's a point where, like you said, you can list all of them. But if you've covered the uh, critical ones where you don't land up with a severity one defect after you've shipped the product um, that's right. and you can anticipate that, uh, that's good enough, right? Mm -hmm. You do the best you can with what yeah. you have. Yeah. Right. That's. I think that's probably a, a, a that's probably a, a phrase we should use in life and probably uh it might uh, it might assist us in uh, having to go to a lot of therapy as well, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it is it is the truth. You know, you do the best with what you have. Perfection is is uh, uh, is is not attainable. Uh, so we 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 uh, we have to uh, figure out what is the right path with the information that we have right now, and uh, and do the best with it we can, and mitigate the risk as much as we as much as we can. Okay, so I I really enjoyed this conversation, Matt. Thank you so much. Um, for me, it was actually um, getting an overview of the process, the the way in which you do what you do, and uh, obviously why you do it. So uh, I want to say a very warm thank you from all of us here and myself at the Software People Stories for your time and sharing insights into into uh you know your experiences as well as um like i said the way you the way you do things for clients and uh, looking at uh de-risking i think that's the one thing that i'm going to be taking away from this conversation so thank you very much thank you chitra it was very nice to meet you and i'm i'm really i'll tell you the 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 time we spent, I had to look at my clock and I thought, my gosh, the time really <laughs> flew by. So I, I really had a, a wonderful time. Very lovely to, to speak with you and, and enjoyed our, our back and forth. Thank you so much. Thank you.
We thank Siddharth for the music and Anita for promoting the software people stories. If you like this episode, please subscribe on your favorite podcast client and spread the word in your network. If you'd like to share your story, contact us at podcast@pm-powerconsulting.com.